Welcome to With the Slack Group's podcast. This week we're joined by Simone Mattinson, Local Area Partnership Manager, who will be talking to us about the Education, Health and Care Plan, also known as EHCP. First of all, Simone, can you tell us um, about your role? Hi, Rukaya. Uh, yes, I am mainly, my role mainly centres around the initial placement inquiries for schools. A high number of these are from parents or carers, many of whom need support with the process, um, and that includes how to obtain an education and healthcare plan. Uh, in order to do this role, I've undergone specific training in special educational needs, as well as completing the advisor training in SEND law. Brilliant. So, we're going to talk about the EHCP. To start us off, what is an EHCP? Okay, so EHCP stands for Education, Health and Care Plan. And it's for children and young people up to the age of 25 who predominantly need more support than is available in their... Um, their setting. So usually mainstream schools, they may be receiving additional support, but they need more. The needs are not being met. So an, e- EH- an EHCP identifies the education, health and social care needs and sets out the additional support to meet those needs. Basically, it replaces what used to be known as the Statement of Special Educational Needs, which primarily just looked at education. Um, With an EHCP, you now encompass everything in one document, so it's education, health and care. In combining this, it ensures that all of the needs are met collaboratively. Okay, so um, who requires an EHCP? Okay, so as we previously mentioned, most children and young people with special educational needs or disabilities will have their needs met in local mainstream settings and won't require an EHCP. However, some of these children and young people might not be making expected progress, despite the efforts to identify the needs, assess them and meet the needs. In these cases, an EHCP may be needed to identify additional support that's required. Okay, so um, before we move on, can you clarify what is SEN? Okay, so SEN stands for Special Educational Needs and it actually has a legal definition. It refers to children who have learning problems or disabilities that make it harder for them to learn than most children of the same age. Some examples of special educational needs are physical needs. These can include things like muscular dystrophy, multiple sclerosis, uh, chronic asthma, epilepsy and a whole range of other um, physical difficulties. There's developmental needs, so things like Down syndrome, autism, dyslexia and processing disorders. So lots, again, a big range, um, but that's just, just naming a few of them. Behavioural and emotional, um, so conditions such as ADD, ADHD, um, bipolar, oppositional defiance disorder, um, just to name a few again. And then you've got sensory impairment, um, so obviously blind, visually impaired, limited hearing, deaf, anything that affects the senses. Okay, so let's talk about um, the EHCP itself. Uh, What are the steps in getting one? Okay, so if you feel that your child or young person has special educational needs and they're not being met in the school, 
you need to request what they call a needs assessment from the local authority. Now that request can be made by the school, it can be made by parents or it can be made by the young person if they are aged 16 years or over. And that request is made, as I say, to the local authority. The local authority must carry out a needs assessment if they believe that your child's special educational needs might require more help than, than a mainstream education setting can normally provide. The assessment involves a process of information gathering um, and there's relevant people that need to be contacted. Um, there's a whole list and it, it, there's too many to sort of name in one uh, in one podcast, so, yeah. <laughs> but it would be people like educational psychologists, CAMs if they were involved, GPs, um, educational staff at the school, but it also needs to include the views, interests and aspirations of not only the young person but the, the parents as well, what their wishes are. The needs assessment will help determine whether we need to make additional provisions through a plan. And once you've made that request to the local authority, the local authority has six weeks from the day that they receive it to decide if they're actually going to carry out an assessment. The local authority can refuse. If they don't think that your child needs an assessment, they can say, we're not going to assess. They might feel that there's not enough evidence that your child's difficulties are severe enough or they may decide that a mainstream education setting can actually provide the support you need um, or that they need to just put some more support into the mainstream setting. If your child is refused the needs assessment, you can appeal this decision to an independent tribunal. Um, this has to be done within two months of the date of the decision. So once you receive your decision from the local authority, you have two months to appeal it. You may need to go through mediation and obtain a mediation certificate. And if that's the case, you have one month from the date of the mediation certificate in which to appeal. Okay, so just um, going back to what you said about um, the aspirations that parents and carers would like to express. Can you give us an example of that? Yeah, it's, it's about speaking to the parents and the young people, so it's not just a case of going to the professionals and saying, what do we know about this young person and what do they need? They need to take into account what the young person wants and what their parent or, or, and or um, yeah. would like for the child, what sort of support they feel they need, what sort of educational environment they feel they should be educated in, and they do have to have regard for that. Okay, right. Okay, so can you recap? the time limits for us? I can. So when you make an initial request to the local authority for a needs assessment, that's when the clock starts ticking and that's classed as week zero. There is 20 weeks in which to issue a final education and healthcare plan. So talking through the steps, week zero is when the LA receives the initial request to carry out an assessment. Within six weeks, the local authority must write to say whether or not they are going to carry out that assessment. If at that point they say they're not, that's where you have the right to appeal the decision. If they are going to assess, they then have a further six weeks, so that takes us up to week 12. And in that time they have to carry out the assessment, get all the necessary reports from professionals and get it all together. And then write to say whether or not they are going to issue an education and healthcare plan. So week zero, they receive the request. 
Week six then must tell you whether they're going to carry out the assessment. Okay. Week 12, the assessment will be completed. Then, between week 14 and 16, the local authority will write to say whether or not it's going to issue the education and healthcare plan. Right. So they will have done the assessment, they'll have got all of the relevant information together, and based on that evidence, they'll make a decision to say, yes or no, we're going to issue an education and healthcare plan. Brilliant, okay. That's between weeks 14 to 16. Between week 14 to 18 they will issue the draft education and healthcare plan and send it out to parents. It needs to be done within this time frame because the local authority must allow 15 days for the parents to make comments on the draft plan and request any changes prior to the plan being made. Right, at okay. Week 20. Week 20 is when the final plan is issued and at that point that's where you name the educational setting of school that the young person is going to be educated in. So week zero, request the EHCP. Week six, LA writes to tell you whether they're going to carry out an assessment. Week 12, the assessment's completed. Week 14 to 16, local authorities should be writing to say whether they're going to issue the plan or not. Weeks 14 to 18, draft education healthcare plan is sent out to parents. Yeah. And then week 20, the final plan is issued. Okay, brilliant. So, um, what needs to appear in an EHCP? Okay, the education and healthcare plans can be very long and complicated. Okay. There is not a set way to lay out the plan. You'll see all sorts of different coloured ones and different variations from different local authorities. But it must contain the following sections. Right. Section A is the views, interests and aspirations of the child and the parents. Again, as we spoke about before, that's what do they want, what are they looking for in that plan. And that's section A. Section B is the child or young person's special educational need. What is their special educational need or disability? Okay. Section C is the healthcare needs, which relate to their special educational needs. Section D is the social care needs, if there are any. Section E are the outcomes that are sought for the child or young person. So that's, you know, what are we looking to achieve with this plan? What are the outcomes that we want to see at the end of it? Section E, sorry if that was section E. Section F is the special educational provision required to meet their special educational needs. So what type of provision are they looking for? Yeah. Section G is any healthcare provision that's reasonably required by the learning difficulties or disability which result in the child or young person having special educational needs. Right. Section H, any social care provision required. And section I, the name of the school or the institution to be attended by the child or young person. The last Two sections, so section J is details of any direct payments which will be made to the parents or the young person, and section K is copies of all of the advice that was sought and all the information that was, was gathered through the assessment process. Okay. Sounds like a lot. Yeah, it does, doesn't um, it? And there is a lot more information um, in lots of different places on the internet that, that states quite categorically what needs to be in an education and healthcare plan. Okay, brilliant. So, 
um, why is it important to have why is it important to have a detailed plan? Okay, the education and healthcare plan should be written in a way that is very very clear to both parents, young people, schools, colleges and local authorities, who is required to do what, right? when it has to happen and how often it should be reviewed. Okay. So, for example, if a plan was to state that a young person requires regular speech and language therapy, yeah, it's a little bit woolly. Right. Because regular means different things to different people. Yeah, absolutely. And people's inter interpretation will be different. So you've no way then of, of pinning people down and saying, well, actually, they should be having more or less of this because it doesn't state what regular means. Yeah. So it should actually state the frequency of the therapy, the duration, so how long it needs to go on for. Is it for an hour? Is it for two hours? And who should be delivering it? Okay. So ideally in a plan, anybody should be able to pick that up and know exactly what is expected from what's being said. Yeah. Okay. Right, so um, when you receive your plan, so you've been through all this process, yep. once you receive it and you're not happy with it, what steps do you need to take? Okay. When you get your draft education and healthcare plan... And sorry, that's... Um, you'd receive that in week 14 to 18. Y yes. Yeah. There isn't a stipulation within that time scale as to when the draft plan has to be issued. Okay. But bear in mind, they have to issue the final plan at week 20. Right. And they have to allow 15 days to for parents to make changes and to consult with schools and to get a response from schools. Okay. So ideally, if it's 15 days, that takes you up to week 18, but it's still not allowing enough time for changes to be made. So really, anywhere between about week 14 and week 18, right. that draft plan should come out to the parents. Okay. Once you've received the draft plan, you've got 15 days to either make comments, or what they call representations, to the local authority about yeah. the plan. So if there's things that you're not happy with and you want changing, that's the point that you need to be making them. You can request a meeting with the local authority to discuss the draft and they have to agree to a meeting. So okay. if you say that you want to sit down and discuss the contents of the draft, education and healthcare plan, then the local authority must arrange a meeting with you for you to go through it. You can also at that point, or you should also at that point, request that a particular school is named in the final education and healthcare plan. If you're not happy with any aspect of the draft plan, you can suggest amendments that you want making in it. Yeah. You can also ask for a meeting, which we've just discussed, and you can make your request for the particular school or college. In order to comply with the overall timescale for the assessment, as we just discussed there, the draft plan really should be issued between week 14 and 18. You must be conscious of the timescales. Week 20 is when that final plan is going to be issued. So make sure as soon as you receive it that you're reading it, that you're absorbing everything that's in it and that you are making the changes that you want or requesting the changes that you want changing in that plan. Okay. Okay. Now if you're not happy and they're not prepared to make changes or if they name a school that you're not happy with, then you have the right to appeal. Right, okay. And we'll talk about... We'll talk about that in a minute. And that's tribunals. That's it? going through a tribunal, yeah. Okay. 
So okay, okay, right. So um, moving on, um, moving on nicely is the tribunal hints and tips. Yes. So first of all, um, what is it? What is okay. a tribunal? Okay, so a tribunal is basically a body of people that are put together yeah. to um, settle disputes. And in this case, it's the, the um, Special Educational Needs and Disability Tribunal that you would go to. Um, and they will try and help you to settle any of the disputes in relation to the issue of your plan. Okay. So... You can appeal to the SEN tribunal if you've been refused an EHCP needs assessment or if the local authority have assessed but are unwilling to issue an education and healthcare plan or if you disagree with certain sections of the EHCP. Okay. So they've refused to assess initially at week zero, you can appeal. They've agreed to assess, carried out the assessment but said actually we don't think they need an education and healthcare plan. You can appeal. Okay. Or they've done the assessment, they've agreed to issue a plan, you get the plan and you don't actually agree with certain sections of it, you can appeal against that as well. Okay, so why would you appeal and what can you appeal? Okay, it's very specific on what you can appeal. There are certain sections of the plan that you can appeal and okay. there are some sections that you can't. Okay. So you can appeal against the contents of section B, which are the special educational needs. Yeah. Section F, the provision. Yeah. Or section I, which is the school or setting that's going to be named in the plan. Okay, so that's sections B, section F and section I can be appealed at tribunal. The contents of the appeal can be about any of the child's special educational needs that are set out in section B. They can be about the special educational provision that's going to meet those needs, so that's set out in section F, or the school or setting. If no school or setting is named in section I, you can appeal that fact. Okay. All of sections B, F and I, as I say, can be appealed. It's normally not advisable to just appeal section I. Because the SEN Tribunal will be considering whether the placement in Section I is able to meet the needs and provision that are set out in Section B and F. Right. So if you're going to appeal, you should be appealing both rather than just one. Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. So... Health and social care. Yeah. Okay. So up until recently, you couldn't um, appeal against the health and social care element. The health and so health care provision and social care provision which educates or trains a child or young person is capable of being a special educational provision and as such should be specified in section F of the plan. Right. Therefore, you might appeal where this provision has been specified in the wrong part of the plan and you are asking for it to be named in section B or section F instead. This is where getting the right information in the right section of the plan is really important because if it's not in the right section of the plan, you can't appeal it. Okay. The Department for Education and the Ministry of Justice have actually just announced that they will be introducing or have just introduced a two-year national trial in England to extend SEND tribunal powers to the health and social care sections of the EHC plan. So where I said before that you never used to be able to um, appeal 
those particular areas. They're now trialling um, a two-year trial that they're going to allow people to um, to appeal the health and social care sections of the plan. Okay. That's really useful. So from April 2018, parents and young people who are dissatisfied with the sections of the plan relating to health and social care and who haven't been able to resolve it locally, they can take this to the same tribunal. But the appeal must also involve an appeal about the educational parts of the EHC plan, i.e. sections B, F and I. Okay. Okay, so you can't just go and appeal the social care or the healthcare section. There's also got to be an appeal for sections B, F and I. But you can then raise the health and social care issues at that appeal. Okay. Okay. The same tribunal only has the power to make what they call non-binding recommendations on the health and social care section. Unlike the other BF&I sections where they can make legal binding um, decisions. However, it's been made clear that the expectation is that the recommendations will generally be followed. So even though on the healthcare and social care section they can't make legally binding recommendations, the general consensus is that the recommendations they make will be followed. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Okay, so what can parents do to prepare for a tribunal? Tribunals, I think, can be quite um, quite a scary thought for, for any parent or carer. Um, um, sorry to interrupt you there. Where do they typically take place? Because I think when you think of tribunal, you think of a courtroom yes. or something like that. They're not held in courts. So a tribunal is not, um, it's not like going into a court of law. They're right. generally held in council offices, um, town halls. Different local authorities have different places that they hold them, but it's generally a really informal room where people sit round a table and discuss the issues okay. and try to resolve it. Right. So as scary as it sounds, it isn't as imposing as yeah. um, a lot of, of, of sort of legal situations can be. Okay. So whether you find yourself in an appeal situation or not, it's good practice to make sure that you keep copies of all correspondence from right. the local authority, from the very first request for an EHCP needs assessment. It's always best to do it in writing, yeah. whether that's by a letter or by email. And make sure that you keep a copy together with the dates that you, you sent these things out. Yeah. Therefore, if you do need to go to a tribunal, you'll save yourself a lot of time because you'll all have the information ready in a nice, neat file in date order. Okay. <laughs> in an ideal world. You should then make sure that you copy anything that you send to the tribunal um, to the local authority. So anything that you yourself send to the same tribunal, make sure that you copy the local authority in as well. Right, okay. The local authority need to see any evidence that you submit or any applications that you make to the tribunal and the local authority must do the same for you. So anything that you're submitting, they must see. Anything that they're submitting, you need to see as well. The tribunal should be about sharing information in order to resolve the dispute and not hiding facts. That's not what it's about. 
it's about making sure that everybody's aware, it's transparent, and that everybody's clear about what to expect when they get to the tribunal. If the case is complex or there are issues which need to be sorted out before the hearing, you may be asked to have a telephone case management hearing. And this is an opportunity for the SEN Tribunal to consider any issues which might need sorting out before the hearing can be held. An example of that is, is where further assessments need to be carried out or maybe where one party wants to postpone the hearing and the other doesn't. Okay. It's a good opportunity to have that conversation on the telephone before taking everybody's time up and arranging meetings and, and getting to the tribunal. Um, if there's a matter that needs to be resolved before the hearing, you can make a request for a telephone case management yourself and there's a, a specific form for that, which is a request for changes form. Right. It's important to obtain any written evidence as soon as you can. And it's best to send in all your written evidence with your appeal because this means that you have the main substance of your case set out with supporting evidence right from the start. And you might discover that more about the LA's argument if it's able to respond fully. Right, if that okay. makes sense. If you have a good case and evidence, the LA might give in rather than fight the appeal. And it's not always a case of giving in if you've got the evidence there and they, you know, they've got it in front of them and they can see what your areas of concern are. Some local authorities do resolve this rather than go to tribunal. Right, OK. If you're having difficulty getting information which is relevant to your case from the local authority, you can use the Request for Changes form to write to the SEN Tribunal explaining what the document is and you can ask the SEN Tribunal for a direction yeah. to make the LA release the document. So okay. if you're struggling to get a document from the local authority that you believe that you should be seeing, you can request that the SEN Tribunal get that document for you. Okay. Okay. Unless the local authority has got good reason for not providing the document, the SEN Tribunal will order that the local authority release it. Okay. Some people may be eligible for legal aid, um, and this could cover the cost of obtaining independent assessments and reports. So if you know that an assessment or report will not be available until after the evidence deadline, then you need to let the SEN Tribunal know and seek an extension. Okay. Um, again, that's covered under the Request for Changes form. It is possible to apply for late evidence to be sub submitted after the deadline, including bringing late evidence on the day, but it will be up to the SEN Tribunal as to whether or not it can be accepted on the day. Okay. It is always best to tell them in advance, pre-warned so that everybody's got copies because they may refuse it when you actually turn up at the tribunal. Both parties will be required to notify the tribunal of who will be attending the hearing in terms of witnesses using an attendance form. These will be sent out with the registration letter um, and will also contain the deadline by which your all of the dates need to be submitted. You need to call witnesses who will be able to give evidence relevant to your case and it's normally helpful to have someone from your child or young person's school or college and this would normally be somebody like the SENCO or the head teacher, somebody that knows them really well and somebody that understands the SEND law side of things as well. Yeah. If you want or are looking for a particular school to be named in the plan, it's a good idea to request someone from that school to attend as well. 
If there's a dispute about the level of the child or young person's needs, it would be helpful to have a professional witness such as, for example, a speech and language therapist or an occupational therapist, but someone who's worked with your child or young person and that knows what their additional, additional needs are. Yeah. You may appoint a representative as well to, to assist you on the day. Um, it can be a legal representative or it may be just a friend or a family member who can act as a representative for you um, or assist you in, in presenting the case at the hearing. This person will not count as a witness if they are just there assisting you and representing you, but you should include them on the attendance form and explain why they'll be attending the hearing. Okay. Okay. Now, all of these forms that we've talked about will be contained in a pack. So when you apply for um, to go to appeal, you yeah. will be sent out an appeal pack or a tribunal pack. And all of this information will be contained in there and all of the forms that you need to fill in will, right, be, yeah. will be in the pack. Right, okay. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so assuming that um, you've got the young person, child or young person has got an EHCP, They've got the placement that they um, they've found a provision that meets the needs. Yep. Um, we got the there's an annual review and transition process, so that's yes. what we're going to talk about now. Yeah. So why is an annual review necessary? Okay, so when we talk about an annual review, we're talking about an annual review of the education, health and care plan. Okay. So as we talked about in the beginning, it's it's a legal document. People have to do what's what's in that plan. Yeah. And documents can become outdated. So it's really important that an annual review is carried out to keep that document up to date and continues to provide the best support for the child or young person's needs. The annual review is basically the statutory process of looking at the needs and the provisions specified in the plan and deciding whether or not these needs are still relevant or whether they need to change. The first review of an education and healthcare plan must be held within 12 months of that plan being issued okay. or being finalised. Yeah. Subsequent reviews must then be held within 12 months of the previous review, so it's every 12 months. The following steps must take place in an annual review. Okay. So, the local authority must consult with the parent of the child or young person and with the school or institution that the child attends. Yeah. They must take into account, again, their wishes and feelings. So, as they did with the original assessment, they've got to take into account the wishes and feelings of the young person and the parent. Okay. An annual review meeting must take place to discuss the plan. A lot of people are under the impression that that meeting that generally takes place in the school, yeah. that that is the annual review. It isn't. It's a meeting prior to the review. The review is the actual document, the updated okay. version of the plan. That right. is the review. So the so meeting itself is right. just a meeting to discuss the plan is it working? Does it need to change? And then the local authority will take that away, will make any amendments that need to be made and will issue, reissue a new version of the plan. Right. And we'll discuss in sort of what can happen yeah. following an annual review. Yeah, yeah. Um, so information must be gathered from the parents, obviously, and young people and the professionals about the EHC plan and then circulated two weeks before the meeting. So a meeting will be planned and two weeks prior to that meeting 
they will send out a form to the parents and to the professionals asking them to fill in relevant information. Okay. Usually a young person, depending on their age and their, and their capacity, will have um, perhaps somebody in school or a parent that will sit down and, and, and get their views and feelings on, on maybe what's going well for them or what, what they would like to see change. So the meeting's held and then after the meeting a report of what happened at the meeting must be prepared and circulated to everyone who attended right. or submitted information to be discussed at the meeting. After the meeting, the local authority, local authority then reviews the education and healthcare plan. The local authority must then notify the parent of their decision within four weeks of the meeting. All of these steps, not just the meeting, must be followed in order for an annual review to be completed. Okay. Okay. Now, at the end of the re review, there are only three decisions that a local authority can make. One is that they're going to maintain the plan in its current format and not make any changes. Yeah. The second is to amend the plan. And the third is to cease the education and healthcare plan if they think it's no longer necessary for it to be in place. In each of these cases, even if the LA decides not to make any changes, you can appeal to the first tier tribunal. Again, the Special Educational Needs and Disability Tribunal. Okay to try and get the changes made to the plan that you want. Right. If the local authority has decided to amend the plan, you can appeal once you have been sent the final amended education and healthcare plan. So once you've received the final plan, the final amended plan, if you yeah. don't agree with the contents, you have the right to appeal. Okay. Although annual reviews are held every 12 months, you can request early reviews of the plan if the child or young person's circumstances change significantly within that period. For example, a school or college is no longer able to meet their needs. So if there's significant changes and you've just had a review five or six months ago and you suddenly start thinking something's not working here, yeah. something drastic needs to happen, you can call an early review. Okay. And so can a local authority. Right, okay. Okay. Right. So that's sort of the process of an annual review. Right. Um, and again, you have your appeal rights if, if you're not happy with with the results. Fab. Okay, so um, what is the purpose of an annual review? So the purpose is, as, as we sort of discussed earlier, is to make sure that it stays up to date, okay. current, right. yeah. and is still meeting the needs of the young person. If you can imagine having a document, um, a lot of young people are issued with an education and healthcare plan when they're perhaps four or five years old. Yeah. If that plan was never reviewed and never amended... Yeah, it doesn't meet the needs of a young person. It's not going to meet the needs of a young person who's in year 11 yeah, at absolutely. school. Who, yeah. it, it has to be reviewed every 12 months just to make sure that everything yeah. is current and their needs are still being met and that everybody's happy with with the outcomes being met in the plan. Okay, brilliant. So, what opportunity does it present to parents? So, the annual review, what um, what opportunity does it present to them? It it gives parents the the opportunity to um, to discuss not only what's going or what they feel might not be going well, but also to discuss what they feel is going well. Um, parents often feel like they are an unheard voice. 
and a young child goes into school and you, you'll receive regular communication from school but it's an opportunity to go down and sit with all of the relevant people that are involved in your child's care yeah. and to get your point across and and to support your child you know, yeah. as a parent that's ultimately what we do is, is support our child and, and we are our child's voice and yeah. going into um, an annual review is the perfect opportunity for parents to, to flag up concerns at an early and sort of timely manner before things get to a stage where placements are breaking down. Okay, so going back to the annual review, who typically would attend? It's the responsibility of the local authority. They, they, um, they basically own the education and healthcare plan, for, yeah. for want of a better word. It's their, although the plan belongs to the child, yeah. the local authority is responsible for maintaining that plan. So they're committed to So they are delivery. committed. They have to make sure that that, that meeting is held. Okay. Every year a review is held. Um, so the local authority are responsible for it. It's the local authority that should be liaising with the school and arranging the, the meeting right. and gathering all the evidence from okay. the professionals. So they will gather evidence from the school, any external support services that are involved, yep. health and care, um, get that all together, have the meeting, and then the local authority must go away and issue the amended plan or yep. the unamended plan or make a decision that they're going to cease to maintain the plan. Okay. Again, if that decision is made, you have the right to appeal. So, would going back to where it takes place, would it take place in a school where you've got a member of staff yes. who supports the child or young yeah. person? They're, they're generally held in the, the um, educational provision that the young person attends. Okay, and you've got a member of the local authority attending So, as it's well. local authority. It would usually be... Um, a member of the educational staff from school. Yeah. In in some schools it's the head teacher, in other schools it's the SENCO. Yeah. Um, if there's other professionals involved, such as speech and language therapists, yeah. they may either attend in person or send a report. Okay. Um, reports, not every professional that's involved can attend these meetings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Parents need to be in the meeting, local authorities should have a representative there, school, and the young person. The young okay. person should be involved in the in the meeting as well. Okay, brilliant. Um, that's all the questions that I have for you. Okay. Um, thanks a lot, Simone. Um, we do hope that you found this podcast useful. Um, you can discover more um, by visiting www.withaslackgroup.co.uk. Thank you for listening. <laughs>